Lab talk with Laura. Listen, I implore ya. Won't never bore ya. Lab talk with Laura. Always more in store ya. Lab talk with Laura. Welcome to Lab Talk with Laura. Today my guests are Alina Bonova and Daria Atkinson from the Physics Department here at UMass Amherst. Um, Alina is a PhD student, uh, also in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at Amherst College and UMass. She was born in Moscow, Russia, um, but grew up in Ithaca, New York. Uh, she has an MA in Physics sorry, from UT Austin. Um, and she studies universal topological excitations in quantum fields, which we will di <laughs> dive into. Um, I don't know what most of those words mean, but we'll Same. get into it. Um, Daria Atkinson has a, uh, is a PhD student in the physics department, um, originally from Carmel, Indiana. Did I say Carmel, right? Carmel. Carmel. Carmel, Indiana. Um, she has a BA in physics from Carleton College. Um, she works at the interface of materials physics and geometry, studying the ways that soft materials choose the shapes they make, how those shapes are constrained or frustrated by the geometry of our universe, and how the shapes they adopt impacts their physical properties. Okay, interesting. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Alina and Daria. Also joining as my co-host today is uh, a comedian from New Haven, Connecticut, a rising star in the Connecticut comedy scene, Kendra Dossie. She frequently Hi. performs at Slumbrew in Somerville, Massachusetts, and Improv Boston. You can follow her on Instagram at unamusedblackgirl. Yeah, and I do not have a PhD or an MA. <laughs> you can give your credentials if you would like, Kendra. Uh, I uh, majored in telling white people how they're racist. I have a BA in that, and um, yeah, that is not science. So I'm going to have my mind blown away today, I think. More an art than a science. <laughs> okay, um, so I think we'll just dive right in, and Alina's going to tell us about her research first. So maybe you could just like start, tell us what you do. All right, well, um, first of all, I work in experimental physics. Um, I'm in the lab of David Hall at Amherst College. Uh, so we make uh, Bose-Einstein condensates, um, short, called BECs. It's, um, it's an ultra-cold form of matter. So it's a, it's a gas that's um, really close to absolute zero. Um, and um, so it's so cold that at that temperature, um, the Quantum, mechanic, uh, quantum mechanical phenomena become macroscopic, so they were actually able to take pictures of these clouds and observe um, you know, phenomena that are normally present at these tiny, tiny scales. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there already. Yeah, so there's a lot. <laughs> so wait, can you say the word again? What is it? Bose-Einstein condensate. Bose-Einstein condensate. Condensate, okay. It's a form of matter, that's a, it's a gas that is condensed okay. into a state where every particle, like every atom, basically occupies exactly the same state. So physically, it's like the atoms are in one place in one oh. time. And so it's a weird, it's, a weird like, it's like a counterintuitive state okay. of matter. So is it like all the atoms are in one space at one time, or all the atoms are occupying the same amount of space? Um, kind of, it's, it's both, I think, if I understand. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I guess you've heard that, um, Particles are waves 
there, a particle is a, also a wave, mm -hmm. right? So okay. at this temperature, the wave nature of the particle becomes apparent. So okay. So really, like every particle is this wave, and it's a probability wave, which means like it peaks. You know, imagine a wave has a peak. So that peak is like where it's most likely to be found. And every atom, and we have like almost a million atoms, right? So they they all peak in the center of in the same location. So they're they're all like the same wave and mm. so this is in like con a massive matter wave yeah okay so this is in contrast to most atoms that are like at a higher temperature yes what's their like wave state or like so the maybe, wave maybe is so right small yeah like at room temperature like you and i like you know we're made of atoms that they also have a wave nature but the wave length is so tiny that these effects are just not there, you know. So okay. um, at this really low temperature, the wave becomes macroscopic, meaning like it's actually like several microns in length, and we can like take photos of it. And you can take photos of the wave nature well, of we, particles. Yeah, basically. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so this is a difficult concept already. The <laughs> particle wave duality. Do you right. call it duality? Right. Okay. Um, so how low of a temperature do I have to be to get wavy? <laughs> <laughs> you would have to go down to nanokelvin, maybe microkelvin, nanokelvin. That's cool. <laughs> so like right really, before really cold. Right before absolute zero yeah. is what you're saying. Okay. Right before certain death. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so for awesome. people who maybe aren't familiar with like the Kelvin temperature scale, because we've all heard like Celsius and Fahrenheit, could you explain what that is? Right. So absolute zero refers to um, well, temperature first of all is just a measure of how things uh, are vibrating and moving. It's a, really a measure of motion. So absolute zero is when all motion stops. Okay. I mean, it's a hypothetical concept. We don't really, you know, we realize that in the lab that. or anything. Yeah. Right. Mm. What would happen if we did observe it? Like something terrible. I don't know if you could <laughs> observe it. Okay. Yeah, it's a. Because you would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a technicality there. <laughs> like what? What's the technicality? Like, is it like if you observe it, then like it will know it's being observed, like a grasshopper? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's <Or> a grasshopper. <laughs> you want to take this, Daria? It, it's more that like, like any process you can think of that would take you through absolute zero um, takes longer to get there, but the sort of longer you run it, right? So, mm -hmm. so that there's a singularity okay. at zero Kelvin. And so you can actually okay. go to negative Kelvin temperature systems. What? Um, so I don't know wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Um, so, and this is more of just like a factor of formal definitions in thermodynamics. Um, okay. Okay. But for example, laser, where as you add energy to the system, it becomes ordered, um, is a negative temperature system. Um, and you have weird things that happen in this, right? Any negative temperature system is hotter than any positive temperature system. Um, so if you put them mm. in thermal contact, energy flows from the negative temperature system to the positive temperature system. Um, Wait, can you, sorry. So a laser is called a negative temperature system? It's an example of one. Okay, yeah. it's an example. Wait, so like, la like any laser is an example of that? Uh, I won't go so far as to say any laser because okay. I'm not a laser physicist. Um, <laughs> but but okay. the sort of canonical example of a laser Right, which is where you have two energy um, levels, one sort of metastable and mm -hmm. one ground state. Um, and as you pump energy into the system, things go into this metastable excited energy state, right? Um, is a, an example of a negative temperature system. Yeah. 
Okay. I had no idea about any of that. <laughs> Me either. I'd never heard that term before. I mean, yeah. lasers burn your retina in the lab. Uh, I would say. Be careful. <laughs> so yeah, don't look physicists. at physicists. Thank you, you for that. Should you always be careful around negative energy systems? Uh, in general, you're not going to accidentally make one. Okay. <laughs> so that's like a, a highly controlled uh, yeah, yeah. situation. What about our positive energy systems like more randomly? So, or so positive temperature is sort of what we generally think about as having temperature. Right, so all of our intuition about like what temperature is goes to like positive temperature systems. Okay. So negative temperature really is just it, it's like a mathematical curiosity in the way that um, that in the way that temperature is defined. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Okay. But just to f um, give you the sense of the Kelvin and the as a temperature rating, if you know, not everybody knows what now Kelvin is. Outer space um, is warmer than. Um, what we make in the lab. It's like micro oh, cool. Kelvin. So oh, you have wow. to go below that. You have to go colder than outer space. So unless aliens also make Bose-Einstein condensates, um, we might have, in these labs, we might have the coldest stuff in the universe. Oh, wow. How do you wow. get it that cold? Uh, so lasers. Oh, <laughs> okay. We actually just laser cool. Uh, the clouds are held suspended by lasers and um, magnetic fields. Uh, so we literally just stop their motion. We kind of like oh, stop okay, them right. from moving as opposed so that's to removing how you cool heat. Yeah. Right, okay, yeah. that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, so something's colder when it's more stationary. Right, And yeah. so you're taking the motion away from the yep. particles, yep. basically. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Would I be able to add any of this condensate to a drink to make it colder? <laughs> what are the practical applications? <laughs> Could I put this in a drink? <laughs> Is this your tire gate? <laughs> well, you'd have to, if you do it really fast. Okay. You know, you'd have to, like, be lightning speed, dump it in your drink. Okay. Would I still be able to drink the drink, or is it, like, like liquid nitrogen? I think that depends how much you put in. <laughs> this, is, this is what I'm like. I... I have not taken any science class in like probably eight years, so my apologies <laughs> in advance, Alina and Daria. Never apologize. <laughs> so it sounds like you're working on like a physicist mixology like yeah, program I, here. Yeah, I'd be so like a fluid dynamics person in here. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, Daria, could could you explain your physics that that you know about? Yeah, so so I do. Um, <laughs> So uh, your brand of physics. Alina works on very cold, very soft, uh, very uh, small things. Okay, right? that's yes. like a fair statement. Yep. Scribes my mom's heart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that break. Do you work on very warm, very large things? Uh, I work on reasonable temperature, intermediate size things. Okay. Um, Goldilocks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do very much Goldilocks physics. Um, cool. Okay. So, so um, I study um, what we call soft materials. So these are things that um, you can poke and it'll move, right? It, like, it, it does what it says on the Animals, tin. okay. Right, so an animal is a soft material. Um, cool. The human body is a soft material. The cells in a sort of, like, if you take a bunch of cells and shake them in a box, that's a soft material. Okay. Um, but more importantly, like, a lot of elastic sheets and elastic solids are soft materials. So, like, mm. the cable on the, these headphones that we have here in the studio, cool. um, this is a soft material, and it's very related to the system that I study, which is... Oh, nice, okay. Um, sort of these bundle-shaped structures. So if you imagine, like, you have a rope, right? There yeah. are a bunch of small filaments in it. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you sort of aggregate those filaments into a larger, also, rope-type structure. Okay. Right? And you might ask what um, sort of happens when you twist it or bend it, and how the geometry of having a bunch of filaments sort of closely packed together changes cool. its material properties. Do... So would, like... I think the term for it is like Buckminster. Those it's like those chains of carbon that just repeat over and over again, and they're able to bend. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that your jurisdiction, or is that too chemistry? Um, so the uh, carbon nanotubes, these yeah. fullerenes of sort of long. So when it's just one of them, it's very much just like too much chemistry for me. Okay. Like chem okay. chemistry is really hard. I don't know if y'all know this, but like chemistry is <laughs> yeah. actually impossible. Um, <laughs> to all the chemists out there, um, major props. Um, but um, when you get a lot of them, right? So um, you can, like, if you watch someone like spinning, like you go to you go to the the like 18th century like house thing and they have someone who's hand spinning yarn mm -hmm. um so you can do basically that with these carbon nanotubes and you make what we call a carbon nanotube yarn out of them Ooh, um, all right can my cat play with the yarn <laughs> uh your cat might have a bit trouble but um if you manage to shrink it <laughs> can i play with the yarn yes if you you know get a microscope in okay. <laughs> Cool. Okay. But but so like yeah, so large bundles of these carbon nanotubes is very much my purview. Okay. Um, so what what are you trying to learn about the large nanotubes? Okay. Um so we're interested in um their material properties and their geometry. Right? Okay. So these are sort of uh, two words that I toss around a lot. Um geometry is um, the sh shapes that things make, right? So if okay. you yeah. have a rope, right, and you bend it in your hands, what shape is it going to make? Mm -hmm. um, if you string it up, right, so say it's massive and you want to use it to hold a bridge up, right, what shape, what path does it take? Mm -hmm. I mean, not just what path does the rope take, but what path do all of the sort of individual filaments or cables inside of it take? Yeah. Um, and then um, from that to material properties, right? So if I can tell you what sort of one of these filaments does when you like pull on it or when you bend it mm -hmm. um what happens in these bundle type aggregations right okay. so how do the properties of the individual filaments um sort of show up in these larger assemblies and it turns out that those are strongly coupled so the the way okay. that the properties of the individual filaments show up is very much dependent on the geometry of the assembly cool okay that's really cool thanks what will people be able to, I guess, like do with these as you figure out how they're able to bend and shape? Is that do, like, are people learning about that for like potential applications in like the medical field or like uh, to make even more awesome fabrics? Like, could I have like a nano sweater, nano nanotube sweater in the future? <laughs> like, nanotube fashion? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm very much on the like not applied side of things oh, that's for this. Okay. Yeah. Um, but certain the potential applications that we talk about are normally very much things like um, so um, these sort of fibrous aggregates happen in a lot of diseased systems in okay. human bodies. Um, yes. So um, hemoglobin, the protein that binds oxygen in your blood um, mm -hmm. with the sickle cell mutation will yeah. form these long filamentous aggregates. Um, okay amyloids which form from denatured proteins um, also form these filamentous aggregates and the structure of those 
um, sort of filamentous structures winds up being pretty important for the path of those diseases cool. and for treatment mechanisms. Cool. Um, and so figuring out sort of just like understanding the physics of what's going on there. Um, mm -hmm. So so I guess like large scale, like immediate applications, this isn't going to be showing up in stores near you anytime <laughs> soon. Um, but we really are like sort of poking at a very general system um, for the, the sort of like the first picture I put on my slide in all of my conference talks, right, yeah. uh, shows this going down to like bundles of DNA where you have things nice. that are about a nanometer across to yeah. like the giant suspension bridge cables on like the Golden Gate Bridge, which are about a meter across. So we've well, got yeah. something like 10 orders of magnitude between the yeah. um, smallest and the largest scales in which this is directly applicable. And we're using a very, very general hammer to smack at them um, in terms of the language of geometry. Cool. Awesome. Nice. You were talking um, the other day about how this relates to like uh, textile fabrication and knitting and yeah, crocheting yeah. and things like that. So one of the things that's really interesting about materials geometry, which is sort of like the, the I don't know, a buzzword that some people use for our field, um, <laughs> is that um, it's really easy to see the applications sort of at the scale of like doing things with your hands. Um, so knitting or textiles is a really good example of this. Paper is another really good example. Um, so in these cases, you have sort of two-dimensional materials, right? Um, and you can start thinking about, okay, if I want to, for example, take a um, piece of yarn, right, a piece of yarn, and I, so, okay, say I've, I folded it into a flat knitted sheet, right? Mm -hmm. um, but say you, instead of doing a flat sheet, you wanted to make it a sphere, right? Okay. Um, so for the, those of you who have done any knitting, um, you'll know that in order to get the, the material to curve more than the sort of usual amount, you have to sort of drop stitches or add stitches, or increases or decreases. Mm -hmm. um, and this is sort of how you generate what we call curvature in, um, in these materials. Mm -hmm. cool. So that, that's very much a related subject. Okay. Do you do any knitting yourself? Uh, I haven't learned to knit yet, but I do crochet. And um, I went to a quilt show at UMass yesterday, actually. Oh, yeah. And I'm apparently about to take up mathematical quilting. So, oh, <laughs> nice. what does that mean, <laughs> mathematical quilting? Okay. Um, so, uh, quilting, you piece together a bunch of um, polygonal shapes of fabric, right? And you wind up with a sort of 2D sheet um, okay. or blanket, right? Um. <laughs> <Quilt>. <laughs> oh, yes. I think that's a term. That's one of many terms. Um, and so it turns out that these, um, these polygonal tilings or packings, right? So you can, you can also think of this, right? If you were trying to tile a bathroom floor, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's the same sort of process. You cut out a sort of polygonal shape and you put it down and then you have to s stitch or mortar a similar one next to it and you try and fill a square or, or a hexagon or something like that, right? Okay. Um, but it turns out that uh, you can do a lot of things to sort of like play with the way that you do this, right? So there are mm -hmm. periodic tilings. So if you take a bunch of like squares, right? Mm -hmm. um, you fill the plane with sort of equal sized squares by just sort mm -hmm. of putting one down and then you do it naturally. And like yeah. you give a, a, like a three-year-old the little wood block cut out with all of the squares missing and they can fill it back in, mm -hmm. right? 
And you can do the same thing with hexagons, right? But yeah. if you, you take a bunch of pentagons, right? So rather than having six sides on your polygons, you have five. And these have to be regular pentagons, right? So mm -hmm. disclaimer. Um, but it turns out <laughs> that you can't fill flat space with regular pentagons, right? OK. But you can cover the sphere with regular pentagons. Um, oh. So um, it turns oh. out. So the sphere is what we call a positively curved space, right? Which is that okay. the um, sort of curvature in both directions is in the same sort of sense. Uh, positively curved things look like spheres, I guess is the, the way I normally explain this. But so like, okay. no matter which direction you're moving on a sphere, you're kind of like going in the yeah, same Yeah, in the arc. same a way away from the sort of tangent space. Okay. Um, okay. But there's also negatively curved spaces, um, where if you go in different directions, you move oppositely away from the tangent of the curved so, space at that So point. like a saddle? Yeah, yeah, okay. like a saddle. OK. Which like curves up if you move uh -huh. forward, but down if you move to the side yeah, exactly. from the okay. center. OK. Um, and so a space with the sphere has constant positive curvature, right? But a space with constant negative curvature, which we call a, a hyperbolic uh, space, a hyperbolic plane. Okay. Um, it turns out can also be covered with um, regular pentagons, um, oh. but you just can't do it in flat space. I feel like everything you have said in the past, like thank you for explaining everything as well. Um, I feel like if someone were to put everything you said to like interior design, we could have some really awesome trippy like oh for sure for sure like beautiful <laughs> mosaics and everything. Is That's that your ultimate goal or yeah? Well, <laughs> my two ultimate goals, right? Uh -huh. For my physics research are one for it to be used in trippy interior design mosaics yes and two and if any of the players in my dnd campaign are listening now you should stop <laughs> um to use them for puzzles in dnd oh um, nice that's cool because like if you say so like you dnd you have a, a play map right which is a bunch of squares or a bunch of hexagons right and you have little minis that live on that play map um, and if you really want to mess with someone, rather than making it a Euclidean playmap, so a bunch of hexagons which nicely tile the plane, mm -hmm. you make it a non-Euclidean playmap. And so then there's curvature in the space, and people have to make all sorts of fun decisions now. Oh. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I feel like there's all these things I wouldn't have assumed are related to. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what's the overall field called? Uh, soft materials geometry. Soft, soft materials, materials geometry. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay, I feel like we pivoted away from Alina. Yeah, sorry, Alina. <laughs> sorry, Alina. That's okay. I was like, let's just go with it, and then we're gonna pivot back. Yeah, because <laughs> so we were maybe overwhelmed. <laughs> we could only handle one complicated concept at a time. All right. So, so, so Daria explained uh, the like bending nano fabrics D and D map. Like, you explained a lot of things. Now let's go back to. Uh, wavy particles that are very cold. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ask away. So yeah. So we, where do we? Yeah. Where do we leave off? We were talking about particles and their the wave stuff. But so you were saying you can take pictures of their quantum behavior. So maybe Ooh. right. Right. Did I understand. Yeah. That I think one of the kind of cool parts of the research is we actually literally like we have a camera. Um, it's a highly mm. sensitive camera, and we literally take. A photo of the atom cloud, and oh. we like literally count the atoms in there. And um, so, is it the a Canon or like a Nikon? <laughs> no, they're, they're like astrophysics, uh, astronomy okay. cameras. Okay, so they're, they're like, like 
Android or iPhone. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you could you could hook it up. Except <laughs> um, so, for all the gearheads out there, this is unattainable. Yeah, this is like you know, fifty thousand dollar camera. Okay. Um, Ooh. And uh, it's highly sensitive. Um, you know, it's meant to. I guess it's meant to take photos of outer space. But okay. We. Um, yeah, we use it to just take photos of the clouds, of the atom clouds, and okay. they make these really cool shapes. It's actually quite pretty to look at, even if you don't, you know. Interior design? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? I see, like, it coming together. Yeah. yeah. To, uh, feels <laughs> <so funny>. Okay. <laughs> um, so, like, how many atoms are in the average? I forgot the exact term for what you said by remember you said the abbreviation BC yep which is funny because it's also an abbreviation for curse in Hindi but it's fine <laughs> uh, what uh, so what how many atoms are in the average BC uh, well depends how you make it ours in in our lab it's um, it's under just under like 2.5 times 10 to the 5 so 250. Ooh. Thousand okay atoms, and that's a that's in that small little window you're looking at. Yeah. So how big is the like? Um, I guess like how big is your picture like and in so, real world space? Well, the picture we can you know it depends how how large your screen is because you can oh. blow it up. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> like yeah, how big is the, the area you're taking a picture like, of? The cloud itself is like a my uh a ten microns or something. Okay. A micron is a one um ten to the minus six. I don't know. I'm so one used to one millionth of a yeah, one millionth of yeah. a meter. Of a meter. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's a Which is actually quite large for because you you know you talk about like yeah. nanotubes. Mm -hmm. Right. That's like a billionth mm -hmm. of okay. a meter. So this is yeah. a millionth. So it's quite big. So <laughs> quite big. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so ten speaking. of those yeah. even. Yeah. Ten yeah. whole. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so ten microns. Okay. So mm -hmm. yeah, the average human hair is fifty microns across. Okay. okay. And then the limit of human eyes is 40 microns. So, oh, like, anything smaller. Yeah. So you're, like, one-fifth of so, a hair. Yeah, and the width. thing is, like, we shine all these lasers on the cloud, so you can actually see it. You see it glowing. I mm -hmm. mean, you don't see, like... You can um, see it with your own eye. You could, yeah, you can roughly, roughly speaking, you can, like, see it, because it glows. Uh -huh. So you can see, like, this glowing dot. Cool. Um, you know, when you shine a laser, of course, when you shine a laser, it's, uh, you disturb, it's no longer a... Uh, a BEC technically, like it's hotter than a BEC. Uh, okay. So, is that right when you're taking the picture, or is it like? Yeah, we actually by taking the picture we destroy it. Oh. So you destroy the cloud. Uh, you destroy the BEC. Um, wow. So you make so, them and then you like take a picture and then that's it. Yeah, like, yeah, and it like one like when everything's running well, you know, you, it's like it takes like a minute only to make a cloud. Like you set all your parameters, mm -hmm. you run it and take a picture and you just do that over and over um, until you wow. get a nice like you can like make a little movie you know okay so okay nice and so what are what are they made out of like what is the so they're rubidium atoms so rubidium okay. is a alkaline metal so it's got this one valence electron which what makes it the perfect candidate to be laser cooled you mm -hmm. need that one val valence electron to interact with the laser light yeah 
So that's uh, <laughs> Kendra's like, yeah, on, just want to confirm. Based that's how on it's my done. knowledge of uh, chemistry, <laughs> you are totally right. <laughs> totally right. Um, no, that does make sense based on like, I mean, that's what I remember from chemistry. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So you can use sodium also, like other, but rubidium is sort of the golden standard. It's um, so that's what we use. Oh, and, you could use sodium. Yeah, and potassium and the other alkalis. I think uh, hydrogen is the one that hasn't been. It's not amenable to laser cooling because we don't have fancy like we don't have blue lasers. Okay. Like, oh, okay. You need it, different kinds of lasers to, to do yeah. it with hydrogen. Yeah. Do you, so. What would what would happen if you use sodium? Would that like change the process at all? Because iridium is more rare, right? Sodium's like salt. Sodium's like oh, salt I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah, it's like we just buy you just buy it from like, like these tech companies or labs or whatever. Really? You know, they ship them to you. Yeah, <laughs> so I could just get some iridium and like or rubidium, rubidium, and just like have it. I think house. if you wanted to spend all that money, you could, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do with it, but that might be kind of fun. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> this yeah. is reminding me. I forget who was. Somebody was like doing a tour of Bill Gates' house, and he was showing them he has a periodic table that's like got the actual oh, elements yeah. in it oh, yeah. yeah aren't some elements radioactive oh yeah like he just has like <laughs> it's like yeah this is a uranium uh yeah they just like some of america's allies that. have been looking for this little hunk of uranium i have yeah. i mean it's bill gates he can do it i guess yeah god how now i'm just curious how much does the rubidium cost like a gram of it. If I wanted to like <laughs> snort it, how much would I have to <laughs> So we actually, we don't purchase pure rubidium. Okay. It's um, adulterated. Um, it's actually Ooh. sublimated <laughs> into another material. So I don't know if much you want like that in your nose. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Sorry, we can make drug references. We like release way. little bits of it at a time. Okay. So okay. Um, by heating it with current, you release a little bit. And it's in a gaseous form so okay. we, like you really don't need a lot um i don't know it's like the thing if you hold a little source of rubidium like what you buy it, it, in your hand it would i didn't it's like a centimeter or two or some an inch okay of, so it's encased in something and it's else enca- yeah and it's like sublimated into another material so when you run some current through it heats it up and it evaporates and okay we only want that vapor so it's so. designed okay. that way to like yeah Come with a disposable case. And by the way, everything is in vacuum. Like the whole thing is enclosed in a vacuum chamber uh, that we don't open, and it's like ultra hmm. high vacuum. Um, okay. Again, kind of like outer space. It's super uh, empty in there. So are you yeah. using like gloves that you reach through, or like we don't tool? know how do you do we it? Don't, you don't um, kind of touch anything. Okay. Um, uh, everything's basically done with like you turn on the current so that gets your rubidium vapor out and then you turn on the lasers and they okay. form a trap and you get and then we push that little cloud into another chamber where it's trapped again by more lasers and how do you push it with a laser oh you push it with <laughs> lasers a laser could yeah. do so much i didn't know lasers, you could do that yeah and yeah. light it's like light matter interaction is it's really cool i huh. think you know because you're using light to manipulate matter and cool yeah, move wow. it around, okay. stop its motion. I guess that's kind of like if you use a laser pointer with a cat, the cat is technically yeah. matter. Oh, and yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> Another yeah. way to make matter with a laser. laser pointer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You should try these experiments with your cat and see you know, how how what a picture of her BC cloud. I like how be. you just knew that Alina has a yeah. cat. Yeah. Well, no, you, you <laughs> just mentioned you had a cat. Did you bring yeah, it up? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, yeah, I could. I I, I know who has a cat. <laughs> <laughs> she 
do you have a cat, Daria? Unfortunately, no. Yeah, I was gonna guess. No, no <laughs> oh. offense. No, no, it's not a bad thing. I could I, like I don't have a cat. <laughs> I could talk about cats all day long. <laughs> could you talk about the physics of cats? Do you know anything about the physics of cats? Oh boy, it's funny you ask because there's the Schrodinger's cat, obviously. Uh, that's the true. Of uh, quantum physics. Uh huh. It's a little bit cruel, though, because it involves potentially killing the cat. Yeah, because it's, I guess, kind of like what you said with um, taking the picture of these BC clouds. It's like once you open the box of that cat, yeah. then that puts its existence in, like, it's no longer, like, a hypothetical state. It's either yes. alive or not. Exactly. Like, by taking the picture, you, well, it's called collapsing the wave function. So it used to mm. be a, well, at least to our knowledge, just, just a wave. As soon as you take a picture, though, they, they turn into... They're atoms, you know. Huh. Yeah. Okay. They're Cats are discrete. atoms. Yeah. 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 It is like opening the box. Okay. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. You're listening to Lab Talk with Laura on 91.1 FM, WMUA Amherst. I'm your host, Laura Federuso, and my guests today are Daria Atkinson and Alina Blanova from the Physics Department here at UMass Amherst, both grad students. My co-host is comedian Kendra Dossie. Go check out Lab Talk with Laura on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Okay, jumping back into it. What's like kind of the driving factor of this research? Like we want to, so this is to, so you mentioned earlier that it's to kind of like test or figure out what, um, like the wave, the wave functionality of matter, right? Right. So like, yeah, what, why are people interested in that? Like, okay, so there's like, Again, like Daria's answer, unfortunately, physics um, can be very far removed from uh, practical the practical world. But um, well, there, I I see the uh, kind of a twofold purpose. So there's just the pure theoretic aspect of it. Um, what's cool about quantum mechanics in general is it's is that it's really universal. Cool. So there's these, uh, you know, um, fundamental properties or laws of quantum mechanics that are obeyed by all particles. So it doesn't really matter if they're cosmic, you know, yeah. if it's like string theory, you know, yeah. cosmic waves, whatever, or um, or condensed matter, you know. So there are these Everything universal does that, properties. To the best of our knowledge. Right, mm -hmm. right. So okay. can you talk about, do you want to like expand on some of those? Because I took quantum physics i don't uh -huh. remember most of it <laughs> at the beginning my professor was like if you think you understand what's going on in the class you're not doing good because it doesn't make sense oh he was just quoting. Yeah. he took that from um, who oh. was it There's is a it like richard Feynman? Or it was something? like one of the pioneers of quantum mechanics uh -huh. who said that like okay. schrodinger or something oh okay <laughs> that was schrodinger's cat said that <laughs> the cat said that once we opened the box saw the cat that's what the cat said which like i got a d in that class which made me think i really oh, understand oh quantum God. physics well <laughs> based on that, no, really, really, based on that criteria, you should have argued that point. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. No. I was God. happy to pass, so I, I had dropped physics as my major. At that God, point. God, that is so. Um, right. Okay. So when um, and you're both welcome to jump in about like quantum mechanics. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I want to say that we specifically. Well, okay, let me bring an example. So um, before I joined the lab, right before, um, one of the cool things that happened in the group was that um, they created um, an analog of a magnetic monopole. So okay. a magnetic monopole has never been observed in nature, 
and people are okay. looking for it, like at the South Pole, etc. Um, hmm. Like, you know how you have two charges, positive and negative? Yeah. Electrical yeah. charge. But, but a magnet, that? you can't, there's always a North and South Pole. Yeah. And you, as, you can cut it smaller and smaller, you'll always have it. So right. there's if you no, break like, a magnet in half, like it just, each right. side becomes the So there's no poles. monopole. But they, okay. somebody made a monopole magnet. Yeah, we we, we made like you made it. Well, no, no. Oh, my, okay, right. my, uh, you know, David Hall and okay. the group at Amherst College. At Amherst College, mm-hmm. right before it was basically right before I joined the group. Um, you know, they had a major breakthrough where they made this. It's an it's it's a synthetic. It was a synthetic magnetic monopole. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So it's an analog. It's basically quantum from the point of view of quantum mechanics. It's you know, it, it is a magnetic monopole. It's just, um, I guess it's like, it just appears in an analogous system. So it's, and this let's is, see, this is tough to explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, and this I is very much where that. Alina and I's research starts to, like, overlap, right? Mm-hmm. Because nice. in both, like, these sort of quantum systems where you have, you know, Bose-Einstein condensate, um, whatever is, um, and in a lot of soft matter systems like liquid crystals, right? So these are the, like things that live in display on your TV, right? Um, mm. You can test really cool um, for like Alina's system, right? These are obviously quantum mechanical phenomena in liquid mm-hmm. crystals. They're classical um, because they're very, very warm, basically. Um, okay. I love that description. Yeah. It's very warm. It's like, like a <laughs> cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, like room temperature as opposed to nano-Kelvin. Um, but um, in both of them, right, you can sort of create these excitations, right? So these are collective phenomenon um, that you can sort of manufacture in a lab with a laser and sort of universally use lasers to do this because, I don't know, why wouldn't you? Um, and these excitations in the um, sort of background medium, right, in like versus like Bose-Einstein condensates mm-hmm. or liquid crystals, um, can have really cool novel physical properties that you might not okay. be able to observe in, for example, a particle collider at the LHC, okay. right? Yep. And then so you mm-hmm. can test how that physics works in these sort of effective systems. Yeah, so that's one of the major selling points for nowadays for these condensed matter systems and the ultra cold atoms and things that mm. they provide, you know, kind of a platform to study certain uh, physics that originally were thought were, you know, thought of um, in high energy yeah. physics like, okay. you know, particle colliders. Get things to move really fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. it's pretty cool. You know, it's kind of a, I think that universality aspect is uh, really heartwarming. <laughs> so yeah. you're trying to really observe things that are like foundational to just how matter behaves. Yes. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting that there's like two techniques. One's like get things to move really fast and one's to get them to move really mm-hmm. slow. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> you're high energy, like, what do high energy physicists do? You know? oh. are, are you a high energy physicist? <laughs> um, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm what high energy physicists do when they realize that they didn't actually want to do high energy physics. Ah. Okay. Is that, did do you start out in high energy physics, or did I you? start out started out wanting to do okay. high energy? Yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk smack about high energy <laughs> physicists? Um, I mean, not really. <laughs> yeah. They just do different 
But it's okay. Y'all okay. are both so he, nice. I feel like, <laughs> well, I, I've talked to other scientists and they're like, yeah, uh, biologists are so annoying. Like, <laughs> and you're just like, I respect their craft even if I don't understand it. <laughs> this is maybe a good segue, I don't know, into like, um, how did you end up in your field of study? Yeah. Okay, in the in the not in physics, but like in the field in the particular field. Maybe both. Yeah, like the whole story, whatever amount okay. of it you feel yeah. like tell. Well, I think I was drawn to physics just due to due to the fundamental kind of nature of it, um, which in retrospect is like you know I think as I grow I gain more and more respect for other things also. Mm. But I think that was like my initial fascination like as a teenager, so I sort of stuck with that. Um, and I think yeah, like Daria said, like. Everybody starts out wanting to be a theorist or particle physicist, you know, mm. like doing the really fundamental stuff. And then you kind of, you know, reality check it. Um, I wound up doing, by the way, the field of physics is called AMO physics, atomic molecular optical. Okay. That's like is the branch. Um, I kind of wound up in it by accident through an internship, but I ended up just really loving it and sticking with it because... Um, you know, because I get to build stuff on the one hand, but also deal with like pretty fundamental like theoretical aspects of the physics at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like the best of both worlds. And, and it's kind of, nowadays, you know, it's rare that you get to do um, experiments on a tabletop. Physics has become mm -hmm. so advanced that, you know, you need, like, uh, collaborations of thousands and thousands of people. But I just like that aspect of it, that it's one lab and just a couple people. And you just, you know, everyone, you just build it and go. Right on. Nice. So, wait, we were talking about the pictures you take of the condensate. And I was wondering, I never got to ask, what do you learn from those pictures? So like, what are the things you're looking at and what can you get from them? So we separate the, so atoms have spin and the spin of an atom interacts with magnetic field. Okay. So using magnetic field, we separate out the spin components and the atoms we use, there's three spin components. It's basically like up, down, and zero. So we have like three clouds and we, Take a photo, and the shape of those three will tell you what the spin structure was like in the cloud. Okay. Hmm. So you kind of have to, you, it's not like a direct, it's not like you, you have to do like some kind of mental translating. You have to kind of learn how to translate that into like a, into something meaningful, I okay. guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Okay. Alina, can we talk about knots? <laughs> Yes. But like one of the really cool things about the systems you work with, right, yeah. is that you can get these solitonic knot confi knotted configurations, yep. um, which are cool. Yeah. So another thing that happened in our lab, I guess, is the first uh, realization, I think, of a mm -hmm. uh, quantum, like what do you even call it? It's, it's a knotted structure where the quantum field is twisted up into this beautiful knot. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, can yeah. that do you it, see that in the picture that you're taking or again you have to do some like translation you, there's uh -huh. actually like i think there's actually youtube videos that will help you like visualize yeah. this and mm -hmm. um you know i mean you can look it up um online what would you search but quantum knots i think um if you search um 
topological not solitons yeah. that okay. will get you the right area. <laughs> yes. How do you uh, spell that? No, I'm joking. <laughs> soliton? What's a soliton? A uh, soliton is a stable solution to a nonlinear PDE, which is not. <laughs> I should clarify what all of those mean. Um, so, so a soliton is a. Um, so okay, so you um, you have these wave equations which show up in all sorts of branches of physics, including quantum mechanics and including fluid dynamics, um, which often have what we call um, the wave equations are partial differential equations, which is just a fancy mm -hmm. way of saying you have like you have to consider the motion sort of everywhere in space and how it's changing and things like that. Um, and solitons are dispersion-free yeah, solutions it's like to a, these partial it's differential like a, equations? Yeah, it's like a structure that doesn't fall apart. Yeah. And I, the, it was first observed, actually, um, as a wave a lot propagating in a channel, mm -hmm. like in the 1800s or something, right? Yeah, yeah. If you, like, push water um, in, this, in a channel, mm -hmm. if you get the wave right, it'll propagate, like, yeah. miles. And you can because actually make these in, like, a swimming pool if you get a plate and just sort yeah. of very gently push it through the water, you'll get these vortex pairs, which will flow sort of very slowly across the pool. Um, and so that's another example of a um, soliton. Oh, so you can make a soliton in your pool? Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay, nice. Um, like, <laughs> if you've ever seen the demos of, like, the people with the, the um, like, big air cannons who sh shoot, like, smoke rings, oh. uh, those are also solitonic. Oh, Actually, and okay. dolphins make beautiful rings. Have you ever seen this? This is something you definitely need to Google. Okay. Uh, dolphins, they will blow like rings of air. They're these. Wait, ring. dolphins make smoke rings? But they're not water. smoke rings. <laughs> <laughs> Although they might be. They're That's like so air air rings. <laughs> Earrings. <laughs> well, it's like the equivalent of a smoke ring, but for a dolphin. Yeah. Okay. That's wild. Yeah. So yeah. dolphins are physicists, is what you're yeah. saying. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> So they so they make these like rings and that's also the term that you use yeah. Daria which soliton. I, soliton soliton so that's like a wave moving through something in a really consistent so, way yeah it's misunderstanding di dispersion free so like okay. it doesn't sort of like so um, yeah. what's a good ex sort of intuitive example so like okay okay so like if you drop a um, like pebble in a pool of water mm -hmm. right. Um, as the wave sort of goes out, the amplitude decreases. Yeah, the waves die out. Yeah. Um, and that's because of something called a dispersion relation, oh, okay. um, which arises from the um, sort of solution to the wave equation, right? Mm. Um, but for these soliton structures, right, these are solutions which sort of don't. They maintain constant amplitude or very close to oh. constant amplitude through time. Okay, and so solitons actually thought to be, um, and this is I am this is not my area of expertise at all. This is a little bit treading off the path, but um, you know if we think about what is a because you know string theory tries to answer like the qu fundamental question like what is a particle like how do we actually go mm -hmm. and uh, and so it's been proposed that the fundamental constituents are are like these twists and turns right in in strings or in mm -hmm. you know. They, Basically, it's like a way to explain, it can be a way to explain the existence of particles. Okay. Because you get like a solid, a soliton is like almost something not solid, but it's like, it's a concrete thing. And, you know, it might be the basis of yeah. forming a particle. 
And this is, again, something that, you know, if you're a high-energy physicist, yeah. right, you're going to spend your entire life, like, adding an extra, like, 5% on the constraint line that says, okay, we haven't seen this yet. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, for condensed matter physicists, which both Alina and I are but in different fields, right, these are things that people build in their laboratories, right? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So, in again, liquid crystal systems, right? So, again, the thing that's in your TV screen, um, you can actually build these solitonic structures as well, um, and you can, you know, carry them around with lasers, right? So you can, like, sort of pick them up with a laser and move it from place to place. Hmm. Um, and then you can um, look at the dynamics. So, like, you can sort of poke one with a laser and then bump it into another one and watch it bounce off and then see how these sort of... These aren't actual particles, right? There's nothing in the material. They're just... Um, sort of stable arrangements of the liquid crystal that oh. you can sort of scatter off of each other and they behave like particles. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, oh wait, we never talked about how you got into your field there. You're so right. Oh yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so I sort of stumbled into my subfield, which is, I don't know, because like what I do is very much like a subfield of a subfield is a subfield of a subfield. Um, but um, I, I, like a lot of people, originally wanted to do, like, high-energy stuff and wanted to, you know, write down the, like, theory of everything that was going to solve everything and it's going to be amazing. Um, and then I, you know, did some more physics and I did some more physics and I did some more physics and um, I got to grad school. I pretty much decided that what I really wanted to do was, like, the math behind a lot of physics um, mm. and, like, sort of work on, like, what the... Um, working in like a very formal setting where um, you sort of, there are right answers to things, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of high energy physics these days is model building and um, sort of like phenomenology of what's going on in the LHC. Mm -hmm. um, and it turns out that in soft matter physics, which is what I do now, um, there's still a lot of room for like doing the like real, real serious math that's sort of like like very like modern mathematics, right? Like stuff that's um, very much still relevant today. Um, one of the um, our recent paper is an extension of um, a proof by um, some folks from like the you know '90s and 2000s-ish, right? So like it's still like very relevant mathematics and mm -hmm. geometry and topology, mm -hmm. um, and but like doing that in the setting of physics so that you get the like warm fuzzy feeling of going to an experimenter and having them actually like make the system that you've now described in like this very abstract language and seeing the connection there cool. um and i don't know i just like really like that sort of feedback process mm. are there what are like the big questions in soft matter oh okay um so what are the big questions in soft matter it's a good question um so soft matter is a, a really weird field in that it mm. sort of combines everything, right? It's like bits and pieces of um, fluid dynamics and um, the physics of granular materials, so like sand, right? Like how does sand work is a very big open question. Um, it's a question that's related to like how glasses form, right? So mm. what makes something a glass versus a crystal when you cool it down from the liquid phase. Oh, um, I'm seeing a lot of overlap with geology here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
and more on sort of my side of things, there are a lot of open questions on like how you, um, what are the sort of guiding principles of self-assembly of um, different material systems, right? If you, um, so I, I know I said that I'm not doing anything like very applied, right? But um, this all sort of comes under the heading of how do you use geometry and topology of systems, of materials to like sort of poke them into doing what you want, right? Mm. Um, or alternatively, like what are the sort of guiding principles that materials use in terms of geometry and topology to sort of get themselves to do what they want. Ah. Um, one of the things I really like about my field in particular is that um, it sort of plays a lot on our sort of geometric intuition. Mm. Um, and so for, for those of you who are listening, if you, you know, go back to some of the earlier segments in the show when I'm talking about like pentagons and hexagons and heptagons, like highly recommend you actually get some pieces of paper and go do this, right? Um, it turns out to be a sort of very generic process in the way materials work. Um, so if you look at, for example, um, like the, the flowers, right? And you look at the edge of flowers, how they're sort of wrinkled. Um, the way that those flowers wrinkle happens by the same process because they sort of just add too much material and so they need to buckle out of plane. Oh. Um, hmm. And so a lot of the sort of, you get a lot of intuition from the sort of from the natural world for materials for geometry by just sort of playing around. And I don't know, it's, it's something that I wish I had had more of when I was sort of starting out my physics and science journey. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I guess, what I would say. So when cool. you like walk around in the world, are you like constantly noticing like the shape and inter oh, for sure. for sure. intertwining of things <laughs> yeah. in that way? Yeah. Okay, I think we're ready to move on to the final segment of the show. It's the game I invented, GTA. Guess that acronym. And you said no cursing, right? Yeah. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yep, none of these letters. Um, so my guests have provided me with some acronyms from their fields, and we're going to try to make Kendra guess what they mean. Okay. I'm so. going to butcher every single one of them. Um, okay. So your first acronym is from Alina. It is B-E-C. What is this the cloud that you were talking about? And there's like a letter. So it's like a, I know the C is condenser, condense, condense. Consolate? Con consolate? Consolidate? Wait. You're like right there. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> you got like the sound, all the sounds, but not in one like word together. Condense it? Condensate? Con Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know what the B is, or I don't know what the E is, but in the B was like a person's name, right? Mm, are the B and the E both people's names? Yeah. Okay. Could Do you, you want to jump in? And yeah. Could you say it? The E. Oh. Okay. Jump. Okay. You can you can jump in with all of it. Okay. Bose Einstein condensate. Are so Bose Einstein. Yeah. So is, Bose and Einstein are both people. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, people probably know who Einstein is. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so, like, the Einstein. The, the Albert Einstein. Einstein. And then mm -hmm. Bose. I've never heard of Bose. Yeah. Does he make, like, headphones? No. Was, okay. <laughs> he, is, he is, though, a really cool, like, person to read about. Really? So, okay. A, yeah. But if you get a chance, you should, you know, go read up on Bose's life. He was a very interesting yeah. person in the story of how Einstein's name wound up tacked to the 
um, end of both Einstein Kondenstedt is a mm. sort of very good lesson on the sort of very much political history of physics. Interesting. Uh, so oh so did God. Bose come up with this condensate? Well, I didn't read up on the history. <laughs> but, um, so Bose initially um, sort of wrote down the like gist of what was going on in what we call um, Bose-Einstein statistics. Okay. Um, so there's there's a sort of specific form of quantum statistical I mechanics. He literally he like wrote from India to yeah, Einstein. Yeah. Well, this he is wrote from India to Einstein. Yeah. Oh, is this guy Indian? Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like I I know about India. This yeah. is where I'm. This is where I'm getting it. Okay. Is it yeah. spelled? So it's B O S E. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And he wrote from to Einstein from India. Yeah. Because English language journals wouldn't publish his paper That's because true. he was Indian. Mm -hmm. um, and so Einstein helped him prepare the paper for publication in a German language journal. Interesting. Um, which Einstein's name wound up on the paper. Um, Einstein wound up writing some follow-up papers on the subject, and so his name winds up sort of tacked on there. Mm. Um, wow. But so okay. the, the sort of there are a couple of Indian physicists you know, during the British Empire who had yeah. a huge amount of trouble getting the recognition which they very much deserve. These are brilliant scientists who mm. like managed to make really remarkable contributions to the field in spite of the fact that the English-speaking science world wouldn't let them do yeah. it. Wow, that is an interesting. Story. Do you do you know what language Bose spoke or like what where he was uh, from? He was Bengali. Okay, I was about to yeah. yes, Bengali. Yeah, there's a lot of smart historical Bengalis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean smart historical everyone, but like there's like like five polymath Bengalis that just like knew everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Okay, are you ready for another acronym? Yeah, I got it. Okay, this one's from Daria. Okay. It's it's a big S, little M, big A. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that one. <laughs> Sadomasochist. Uh, big S. Is it, wait, is it like the soliton mechanism? Aristotle. I'm just going to say a random A. Nice. <laughs> Is that what it is, Daria? No. <laughs> uh. So it, it, it's a type of liquid crystal. It's okay. We call the smectic A phase of liquid crystals. Smectic A phase. Yeah. Where smectic is a Greek root that comes from soap. Um, oh. Ooh. And these I love are soap. Sort of uh, fluid layers which form these neat stacks with a set spacing between the layers. Oh. Okay. So we didn't talk too much about liquid crystals. We huh? didn't. Should we have talked more about them? Uh, it's all sort of like hidden in there, but uh -huh. using okay. the t like technical language of liquid crystals sometimes obfuscates the actual physics. So oh, okay. okay. So, but that's part of that soft matter. Uh -huh. That's okay. Very much. Cool. Hmm. Well, I think that's the end of the show. Cool. Thank you. Right. We did it. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Good job. Thanks for being here. It was really Thank awesome you. speaking yeah, with you. I, uh, yeah, it was awesome to hear about what you're doing, and now I feel a little edumacated, so it's good. Nice. <laughs> cool. You just listened to Lab Talk with Laura on 91.1 FM, WMUA Amherst. I'm your host, Laura Padruso. My guests today were grad students Daria Atkinson and Alina Blanova from the physics department. My co-host was comedian Kendra Dossie. You can find her on Instagram at unamusedblackgirl. 
The jingle at the beginning of our show was written and produced by Matt Woodland. Online hosting of Lab Talk with Laura is supported by the Emmerich Lab in the Polymer Science Department. You can find Lab Talk with Laura on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. So please go give us a like, check out our old episodes, and let us know what you think. Thank you so much for listening. Stick around for WMUA News coming right up.